0: Watches podcast. On this week's episode, we have the return of an already returning guest. That's right, if you haven't guessed it already, Rick is back from Cincinnati Watch Company to showcase his new watches currently on pre-order right now. And joining Rick is a new member of the Cincinnati Watch Company team,
1: Jordan Ficklin, their new in-house watchmaker. Welcome, everybody, to episode 33 of the Whiskey and Watches podcast. This is our first three Pete uh, from a guest perspective, unless you guys are still counting Buzz as a guest, which we are not, uh, in which case he's got <laughs> like 27 episodes under his belt uh, as a guest. Uh, but we be. have, yeah, we have uh, Rick and uh, and now Jordan, a uh, new addition to the Cincinnati Watch Co., uh, joining us this week. They've got some. Some big news, and uh, we're happy to have both of them on. So, gentlemen, welcome. Hello. Thank
2: you. Uh,
1: just, uh, just a bit of housekeeping for uh, anybody who saw the Instagram post. I have two fantasy football drafts going on while we're trying to record this. Uh, so we're going to see where I fumble first, whether it's here on the recording, most likely, or uh, with my lack of picking on the clock. Uh, I don't want to miss my pick like that was it the Vikings who missed their pick that one time during the draft? There was somebody who didn't get the envelope to the commissioner in time, and they lost their pick in the actual real draft. Not fantasy for nothing at all. Like actual real NFL teams screwed it up. I feel like it was the Vikings.
0: <laughs> My know. trivia knowledge is only good for history, and that's about it.
1: Oh, so not sports. Okay, so that okay. if yeah. we were a trivia team, it would be me, and I would have had yeah. to guess Vikings, and we would see. Um, yes. <laughs> somebody can tell me. I'm sure they'll they'll message us. Anyway, so gentlemen, uh, Rick, as you are well aware, and Jordan, uh, as we discussed before coming on air, uh, we typically start out with a a drink check and a wrist check. So since Jordan is the newbie, uh, we will let you uh, go ahead and go first.
2: All right. So I'm not uh, much of a drinker, um, but I am a little bit of a root beer connoisseur. I consider sugar to be my vice. And so tonight I am drinking um, something local here from Cincinnati. It's Root Naturals. Uh, Apothecary Craft Soda Root Beer. Uh, oh, well. it's a it's a nice little uh, root beer. It's pretty earthy. Um, doesn't have a lot of uh, you know the winter green or this kind of stuff, but it does have some how do say, some some caramel flavor and some earth tones in it. It's it's a nice little root beer. I like it.
0: Nice. Where'd you find that at?
2: Uh, Jungle Gyms, of course.
0: That's okay. That's where you get all the stuff around here. Good spot. Yep.
2: You know, absolutely. That's close to my house. So I've, I've had just about every root beer in their aisle, which is probably 40 <laughs> or 50. Wow. My um, <laughs> two you know, awesome. favorites, they don't carry anymore. So yeah. I have to look other stores sources <laughs> to find my favorites. I don't know why. I must have different taste than the most people.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, you definitely tried a lot of them, so you should have a good taste at this point, yeah. I assume. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely.
2: <laughs> and then on the wrist, I guess, right? Yes. So most of today, I was actually wearing the original Union Terminal watch. Um, I do love that. Um, but for the show tonight, I put on something a little different. I'm actually wearing my school watch, the watch I built while in watchmaking school. So one-of-a-kind, um, signature kind of thing. Uh, my favorite part of watchmaking school was making stuff, <laughs> out the machinery and molding metal. And I figured tonight with the introductions it would be appropriate for me to put that on my wrist and i know that uh those of you out in the podcast world won't be able to see it um but it's got a kind of a clean simple dial oh yeah right handmade dial handmade hands um and then display back um with the movement that i built about a third of that myself um in the workshop so really a cool piece I don't wear it very much anymore. It was my daily wear when I came out of watchmaking Soul for a couple of years, and now it's kind of found its place in the watch box because I want to keep it in pretty good shape. So it just kind of comes on for special occasions.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. We may have to have you send us a picture of that so we can post it with the uh, the show promo. That's uh, that'd be a pretty cool one to see.
2: Uh, I think uh, we uh, ought to probably post
1: some uh, Cincinnati watch pictures. Oh, <laughs> well, we can sneak we can sneak that one in there. We can sneak that one in there. Uh, we've gotten plenty of stuff out there for rick we'll get we'll get one out there for the the piece unique uh because that'd be pretty cool i I know we're gonna get questions saying hey can we see it maybe we'll do a secondary post with uh with that that'd be fun to see
2: yeah i'll I'll get you some pictures over you can do something with it
1: oh definitely (laughs) definitely rick what have you got
3: so uh drink first right Sure. Forget order tonight. Um, So really classy tonight. I've got a margarita mix. Uh, My larders are uh, (laughs) low (laughs) these days. I've been busy, as you might imagine. So um, that's what I'm drinking. Uh, We're 0 for 2 on the Whiskey and the Whiskey and Watches podcast this evening. And then uh, (laughs) on my wrist, I've got the uh, Diver's Edition Black. And then on the other wrist... The new version of the Union Terminal watch.
1: Those so are that's both what, fantastic.
3: That's what I'm sporting this evening in honor of this podcast. Awesome. <laughs> and Evan didn't yeah. even get to touch him first.
0: Not yet. Yeah, he's got. Not he yet. will. I'm sure he will. I will. <laughs> I'm ready to give him a good, you know, send off before they uh they ship to their prospective buyers.
1: <laughs> Spangler, what have you got?
0: Yeah, so I've got on um, an Omega, um, it's actually my girlfriend's great grandfather's watch. Um, It just says Omega automatic on the dial. And unfortunately, I'm not that entrenched in the Omega forms to really be able to date and or give you an exact model number. I haven't even taken the case back off, so I couldn't even tell you the case number um, on this watch. Um, It's just a typical 50s Omega, dress styled watch i mean if you're a watch person i'm sure you've seen these floating around all the time they're pretty common um got it serviced by friends at a uh, richard and phillips and it's uh, it's doing well all original parts except for the crystal it's all good uh and what i'm drinking is going to be i've got actually two tonight since i couldn't make up my mind um but i've got a booker's boston batch um I've had and I really like and enjoy because Booker's is one of my favorites. Um, and I said on a previous podcast that I would be um, making some of the whiskey folks jealous, but I've got a Elijah Craig barrel-proof as well uh, on the docket for tonight. And it is, if anybody's out there wondering, it is a barrel A120 or batch A120, and it is hot, coming in at a cool 136.6 proof. It is, it's, uh, it's up there. So yeah, that uh, is. Yeah, it's uh, it's a little high, a little high on the proof scale. Very but it's nice. good. It's good. It's the hype is the hype is well worth it on that one.
1: It's very, nice. it's very good. Yeah. So, uh, Spence, what do you got? Well, uh, for the drink, uh, I actually took some of your advice, which is not something I often do. Um, but <laughs> 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 I do. I did go out and uh, pick up a bottle of Larceny uh this weekend so i am working my way through that which i've not if i have i don't remember i've not had very many weeded bourbons but i can see the hype to a degree uh definitely sweeter easier to drink just on the rocks so a big fan of that um and then i am wearing the watch that i wear when i remember that i'm going to probably be watching uh, a formula one race and that is my Tudor fast rider black shield uh their ceramic chronograph which i currently have on an uh, Horace straps, um, winter ca- Arctic camo, whatever it's the gray and black, like camouflage strap. Just a fun, goofy look for um, summer, which is a ton of fun. And because this one came on a leather strap with a suede back. And in the summer, it just I, I I wore it in the summer on that, like for a few days once and just realized how bad it smelled. And I was like, well, we got to get something else. Um, <laughs> leather in the summer for me in Cincinnati is uh, never a good idea. So, um, yeah, that one's been on the rubber for quite a while. Anyway, so now that we got the uh, the formalities out of the way, uh, Rick and Jordan, it's great to have you guys uh, on the show and, and back. Um, you know, I understand that Jordan's new to Cincinnati Watch Co, but he comes with a, a wealth of experience as a watchmaker. And then uh, Rick's got a couple of new uh, things that are all Actually out on pre-order as of uh, this past Friday, which is exciting. I know we've been waiting for that diver for a while, and <laughs> we've been waiting so long that there's a bunch of other bonus goodies to go along with it. So, um, I guess a good way to d- jump in is, uh, Jordan, what what got you interested in watchmaking uh, way back when, or however long it's been, and, and inspired you to, to take up this craft. And then uh, we'll get a, we'll get to you and Rick uh, knowing each other in a bit. But like, what what, what started it all for you?
2: Wow. Well, I, I came into watchmaking in kind of a roundabout way. Um, a little over, a little about about 20 years ago, um, I was pursuing my degree in computer science at the University of Arizona and I got a job in a jewelry store. I didn't have any family connections to watchmaking. Um, didn't have any personal connections to watchmaking. I always wore a watch, but I never wore anything fancy. And, um, As I started working in the jewelry store, I ended up gravitating toward watches. And it was when I was working at the store there that I became aware of watchmaking as a profession. Um, And we were starting to see a resurgence in watchmaking schools here in the United States. Rolex had just opened uh, the Lidditz Watch Technicum in Pennsylvania. Um, And I saw an ad for that in a jewelry magazine. And I decided, this is gonna be a lot of fun. And so I graduated with my bachelor's degree and then I moved across the country and started watchmaking school. And so I've been in watches ever since. Um, and there's never been a day when I knew I was gonna wake up and work at my bench that i dreaded going into work. It's always a pleasure to work with these tiny machines. Um, just a lot of fun. Um, customers sometimes not as much fun but the watches themselves are always fun
1: (laughs) that's exciting that's awesome and so rick and jordan why don't you guys tell us a little bit about how you guys got to know each other and then uh how jordan uh, ended up coming on board
3: well of course uh i knew jordan uh you know just from the awci um uh you know because jordan worked there um and uh you know being that we're a local brand. I've seen them around at a few of our events. We've certainly exchanged pleasantries in the past. And then, um, you know, I'm really interested in Jordan's perspective of what gravitated him to working with Cincinnati Watch Company. I'm excited about it. Um, and I think it brings something different to our company that we didn't have before. Uh, something that we were really desperately searching for. Um, you know, we love what we're doing, supporting, uh, you know, Nonprofit organizations typically local ones with our watches but you know we wanted to grow into a company that was also supporting american watchmakers and we wanted that assembly to come in house you know and, and kind of grow the capabilities and scope of the organization and, and jordan reached out to me and uh that that was an exciting day uh for for me and my business partner mark um to really steps up the type of things that that we can do now, and basically the quality that we're offering to our customers is is going to be really high at this point. Um, you know, we're going to be doing all the things in house that you would expect. You know, pretty much of a major brand. We're going to be pressure testing all the watches before they leave the door. We're going to be assembling them in house, doing our own QC. We're going to be um, regulating. Uh, to a certain degree, obviously at the price point, not to cost or anything like that, but we're gonna make sure you're not getting a, a bum watch when we go out the door. Um, so a lot of good things for us. Um, I wanna hear Jordan's side of the story now too.
2: <laughs> yeah. So a little bit more of my history. So coming out of watchmaking school, I worked in a retail jewelry store as their watchmaker for a little over seven years. And then I had the opportunity to come out here to the Cincinnati area Um, to be executive director at the American Watchmakers Clockmakers Institute, as Rick mentioned. So this is the professional organization for watchmakers and clockmakers um, in the United States. And so I've been uh, running the show there for a while um, and recently uh, made the decision to part ways with AWCI and started reaching out to people to see what opportunities were there. And uh, I've been working with a board of directors for the last seven years, I'm a bit of an idea guy, and it's always been a struggle to get a large board um, to hear my ideas, uh, to want to move ideas forward and and change things. And as I discussed opportunities with Rick, um, I could see that here was a a company that was willing to hear ideas, was interested to hear new ideas and what I had to say, and I think that they probably will, uh, will see some of my ideas come to fruition within the company itself. And so I'm excited to do something more than than repair, to be involved in the design process, in the construction process, um, to be able to use some of that creative uh, license. You know, like I mentioned, my most exciting part of watchmaking school was when I was actually building stuff, right? And so being connected with Cincinnati Watch Company, um, we're going to have that opportunity. Um, to do some of that kind of stuff, and I'm excited for that and and the direction the brand can go. Um, I see a a really neat partnership um, with uh, the three of us and the different things we bring to the table. You know, to have a, a watchmaker with my experience on board. I, I hope we'll see some really fun and exciting things from from our company here in the next uh, couple of years.
3: And That's then great. another thing that you know jordan and i agreed upon almost immediately and at the same time is what would be really interesting is since we have the capabilities now is to open a service center associated with cincinnati watch company You don't usually see that out of a brand of our size but you know we can take your old amiga and service it we can repolish your watch we can we can do things that you wouldn't expect out of a out of a tiny micro brand right now so you know that that is going to be in a, a separate focus of the brand as well as you know you, you have a watch that you're having
0: trouble with uh, we'll take it we'll get it running and get it back to you absolutely yeah so I, I know you guys obviously have those plans in store and i'm sure we'll get into that later in the episode of what you guys see now that jordan you're in partnership with cincinnati watchco where you guys see the company going in the near future um, but I feel like we also have to talk about some of the new releases that you guys have, um, especially for those not in your loop, but listeners of the podcast that don't really know too much about, I guess. If they are listeners, they might know a little bit about Cincinnati Watch Co., but if they aren't avid subscribers to Cincinnati Watch Co., they may not know that you have come out with a few new releases, um, Rick and Jordan. Um, so if you guys wouldn't mind talking about some of the new stuff you've come out with,
3: Absolutely. So um, we have uh, essentially three new watches um, in three different kind of, I guess you would call them collections, three different sizes from 36 millimeters to 39 millimeters to 41. So I think we've got, you know, a, a watch for every wrist at this point available for pre-order. We have our Divers Edition, which uh, supports the Dive Pirates Foundation. Uh, that is a 41 millimeter dive watch with a Salita SW200 movement, ceramic bezel, um, You know, coming in two colorways, kind of a black guild and a, and a blue colorway. Then we have our, our Cincinnati's field watch ad- a line uh, that supports the Free Store Food Bank. Uh, that field watch um, is kind of a, a, a redo of a, a field watch we did uh, a year ago we just made some improvements to it. We added a steel bracelet, the crown's a little larger, and then we've added some new dial colorways to choose from. We, we offered that initially with black and gilt, um, and now we've got a green version and, and a blue version we're calling West Coast Blue. It's a pretty interesting color. Um, and then uh, the last piece, which is, which is our latest piece in the or latest collection is what we call a Time Hill collection. And that's comprised of three watches, same case, but different dials, different handsets, different movements for each watch. So it's 36 millimeters, acrylic crystal, really vintage looking vibe out of that guy. It's only 7.6 millimeters thick, 44.8 lug to lug. So really nice, uh, you know, vintage size and vintage feel to that watch. And within that collection, we have our reboot of the Union Terminal design we also have a, a version we call the Cincinnatian, and the uh, captain would be the final, final piece in that collection.
1: So I know you and I have talked a little bit about the captain being your favorite of that. I don't, I know you don't want to pick your favorite because your favorite, but I know that has been the one that you have kind of been gravitating towards lately. Talk to me a little bit more about that design, kind of what inspired the very deep champagne dial and, and kind of where that design came from.
3: So, you know, Time Hill uh was where Gruen was located here in Cincinnati. Um, you know, watches were made here at one time in Cincinnati by Gruen. The first and, James Bond uh, watch. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, you know, this collection, you know, the Union Terminal aside, because that's obviously inspired by the clock at Union Terminal. It's very different Art Deco design, although it would have been an active structure at the time Gruen was around, you know. Making watches here in Cincinnati, um, but b- both the other two, the Cincinnatian and the um, the Captain, you know, have their Gruen influence, Gruen influences in them. And you know, the the, the Captain is very de- heavily inspired, you know, homaged really to the Gruen Pan Am of 1944. Um, the Cincinnatian design is kind of my own take on some Gruen elements. There isn't really a Gruen watch that ever looked like the Cincinnatian, but I, you know, I was looking at handset styles and the way they did their sub dial registers, the the markings they had, and kind of put my own take on that with the Cincinnatian. Um, but yeah, the you know the, the colorway on on that Captain is is very much to to homage the um, the Gruen Pan Am, and you know Captain, you know. Captain of an airplane, because that was a pilot's watch of its day, believe it or not. Not a field watch. It's a pilot's watch. Wow.
0: Any other design inspirations um, behind any of the watches?
3: With uh, with the Time Hill collection or just with all of them in general?
0: Yeah, just in general.
3: No, I think the you know, the dive watch is, you know, you can see elements from other you know, other watches in there, of course, with kind of the mill sub hands and the in the dive watch. But yeah. I wouldn't call there anything exactly one for one to a particular watch in history with the dive watch, the field watch too. I mean, you know, field watches tend to all have sort of a similar feel to feel to them if they're going to be called a field watch. I think our yeah. railroad track is pretty interesting on that one with the 24-hour markers inside the um, inside oh, yeah. the railroad track. You don't see that very often. Mm-hmm. Um, you know but i wouldn't say that there was like a specific influence on that field watch that was just kind of kind of me playing around with what i felt would look good
1: well i I think that one the the thing that draws me to that piece um is the textured dial um i guess where where did you get the idea to add such a heavy texture on the field watch and And I guess, uh, especially on the, on the blue, I know the blue is kind of a unique beast in and of itself.
3: (laughs) Well, I wish I could say that there was like these, you know, for some decisions, it's just kind of like you think about, well, would that look neat? And then you you find out kind of when you get the dial, you know, and decide whether or not you're going to actually go with it. Um, you know, so I wish I had some interesting story about going with the grainy dial other than I've just liked it when I've seen it on other watches. Um, but, you know, when we produce these things, you kind of, you kind of, sometimes you get stuff that you end up, don't, you don't make it because you don't like it. But when I got that grainy texture and I was like, yeah, this is hot, we're going to go with this. Um, you know, and the same with the blue color. I mean, when you're, when you're, when you're designing these things out, you're, you're doing this largely with computers and you're seeing a color on a screen. You're not seeing a color in reality. You're not seeing color in a light. You're, you're picking a color. And then you're like, well, I hope it works out. And you know, if it works out, you go with it. If it doesn't, you have them, you know, you do a new one. Um, but that blue just turned out to be just so different. I've just not seen that on a field watch before. Um, and, and really originally when we did it, we had gold markings on it. And, and where that failed was the gold didn't really, it, it was very difficult to see the gold markers. So we made it, made it all white and it really you know, pop that dial and made it incredibly legible. Um, so we stuck with it. We just thought, hey, you know, let, let's offer something different on a field watch than what you'd see, you know, every day, because usually you're seeing black or, you know, green or white and, and field watch dials. So just wanted to offer something interesting in that department.
0: And so when it comes to your guys' watches now, you, you've been advertising on the site that they're now designed and also assembled in Cincinnati. Um, so if you guys want to take us through, like, the assembling part of the new, of, I guess that's the new big feature of the watches. If you guys want to take us through how that works, I think most people will be kind of interested to hear how that, how that is.
3: Yeah, so Jordan's going to be casing them up. I'll let, uh, I'll let him go through what's going to happen on uh, each one of these pieces.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's an exciting time to be joining the company and and making it possible for us to do this, you know, is that we'll be getting in the components from the factory there. And right here in Cincinnati, primarily myself, if not entirely myself, we'll be taking this. And we'll be fitting hands and dials to the movements, um, putting them in the case, uh, fitting the stems and crowns to the watch, Making sure, you know, that's the quality control check, making sure everything is how we want to see it exactly, making sure there's no lint on the dial, all this kind of stuff that sometimes makes it through um, quality control in some places overseas Um, and throwing them on the timer, making sure they're keeping good rates and putting them through water test. Um, We want to make sure we have the highest quality product that we can deliver in our, in our price point um, to the customer and having this hands-on, touch right here and us working together is really going to make that possible um, because we have total control over that process there, right? There's no shipping something back if we don't like it. It's all on us. We're going to do it to the quality we want our customers to have and we're going to do it right here locally. Um, You know, we've got a beautiful little workshop here. We've got all the equipment we need um, and we're going to make it happen. That's and exciting, just to give you
3: an idea of how it happened before, and that was me checking every single watch <laughs> all night uh, to all hours, and and in my amateurish watchmaking way, and you know I probably have cased more watches than average people. I know how to do it, not quite as well as Jordan, obviously, but <laughs> um, so that even took me longer. You know, um, you know, I had to do all these things myself. Um, uh, to try to make sure that what we are delivering to our customers was the best that I could provide for the company, and you know, having Jordan doing this instead just takes that to a much higher level. And the watches, right off the bat, I know, are going to be a hundred, you know, a hundred percent better than they 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 could possibly be without him. And. Optionally, we're thinking about this, um, you know. And if you haven't listened to other episodes, one of Evan's favorite things to do is to find out what watch you're buying from an AD. Then he goes to that <laughs> AD, touches your watch first, and then the AD calls you because he did this to me and he touched my watch before I got to buy it. And we're thinking about letting Evan go ahead and pre-touch your watch for an additional fee. I think <laughs> I, 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 I think we, I think we would like. I think I think that could
0: sell. I mean, ten extra bucks, <laughs> pre-touched. I mean, listen, everybody. My hands—they're—they're top-notch, right? I, I do my best to wash them, and my, my best to hand sanitize them. But like, you know, no promises. But let me tell you, these—I know how to handle a watch. So if you want that for your watch before you get it, I can sign a document. I can do whatever you want. Just just know it'll be in good hands before you get it. So consider me the the unofficial but kind of official. Fourth member of the Cincinnati Watch Co. In theory, <laughs> we, we can work on the contract later, but like, yeah, just, just just assume I'll be there ready to fondle any watch that
1: goes I feel off the, like the production I feel line. like we're going to get somebody who messages us that asks and then wants photographic evidence <laughs> that this happened. I'm not even kidding. There's going to be somebody who does this. We somebody is going to take you up on this. Oh, um, hey. and they hey. will want the serial number on the case back to know that he touched the right watch.
3: Hey, uh, yeah. no, go uh, go ahead and go to the contact us on the website. Say you want Evan to touch your watch first. um yep. we'll make it happen. He loves to do this sort of thing, so you know. Yep. It's love really to him, just...
0: love to unscrew the crown, love to set the hands, love to play <laughs> with the bracelet. You know the typical fondling stuff you do when you get a new watch. I'm great at all of it. So if you're listening, I, I know how to do it. I'm an expert at it. Um,
3: so what I want to know really about that whole story is like why did Richter call you first when the watch I ordered from them came in to have you go in and fondle it before I got in (laughs) like how does that
0: work yeah so for everybody listening the backstory on this is that I had (laughs) gone into our local AD and Rick had just ordered one of the new Seiko releases and I had gotten to touch it first Um, and really all it is behind it was I, I came in on the right day they literally had gotten those watches in the day I had come in and I was asking about the watch that I currently own, which is, I call it the little, the little Willie. Um, but my my green Willard, um, <laughs> I had come in to check out those watches and funny enough, they had gotten in the watch that Rick had wanted. And I'm like, yeah, I and mean, even even the salesperson, our local salesperson, Blake was like, yeah, no, this is for Rick. He's wanted it for a while. Like this is going to be his watch. I'm like, perfect let, <laughs> let me handle it first um, and and so i played with it of course um sent, sent of course sent rick a picture of it um and that's kind of how this whole thing started so yeah if anybody was, was looking for my credentials on like how good i am with fondling watches like that's really all you need to know like i'm one of the best and, and they
3: didn't even give me a deal markdown on the fact that it was a used watch at that point.
0: So I don't full, know.
1: Full price, baby. Full
0: price. You should have been paying more for it, actually, in yeah, theory.
1: Yeah, you're going to charge more for this, Rick. I don't know why you think you should have gotten a discount for that. Yeah. No, maybe, you
3: should, maybe you should get a deal with Richter, too. I don't well,
1: know. All, should, I will say, all, the watches. all I will say, though, is um, I just remember when that happened because your watch came in. At the same time as the first watch that Spangler tried to buy, that they sold out from under him, uh, so he had to wait till the second yep. Green Willard came in. Uh, they had a Black Willard on a bracelet, um, and they had the gray. Um, what is that? The SPB. What number is yours, Rick?
3: Mine's one four seven. I don't. Okay, then it either. might have been the
1: one four three. The gray is the one because I have the blue one. And it's the one four nine. Um, And I was mad because they didn't have that one in. I was like, how'd you guys not order the blue one? You knew that's the one I wanted. Um, They did. It came in like two weeks later. So I ended up with that one, as everybody on the podcast knows. Uh, But so whoever ended up buying that black Willard on a bracelet and the gray, the SPV 143, I may have touched those watches first. I don't know if any of our listeners here locally bought those. (laughs) I don't think they did. I know Dustin has... The gray one but his came not from richter so um i i don't think i touched his watch first um <laughs> but yeah that's how this whole pre-fondling watches uh thing came about which is <laughs> just hilarious just it,
0: <laughs> we, we've got to work in a deal with richter where we all can go in there and like bottle some watches and like have a sign <laughs> in the store be like hey if you want to hear about how your watch got like touched before you got it We'll see you next week's episode? Right there. Actually, so funny
1: story. Uh, I was in over the weekend and uh, was talking with Blake, uh, the enabler. And um, another guy was in. He was wearing a, a five-digit sub, was looking at a couple of other things, just kind of another watch nerd in there just checking stuff out and uh, didn't know we had the podcast here locally. Uh, subscribed on there. So if, if, uh, if Mike is listening, um, cool meeting you this weekend. Uh, we'll see if he's actually listening. He said, he said, I watched him subscribe. He found it on his phone. And he says, like, this you guys is like, yeah, it's us. <laughs> um, I was in there with our other buddy, Mike, um, who just got a pretty sweet new Panerai. Uh, so shout out to our buddy, our other buddy, Mike. Um, uh, okay, guys, a, uh, a little bit of, a, Oh, uh, why is this thing showing people who've already been drafted? Who do we think? Uh, Robbie Anderson or John Brown?
0: Um, Flip a coin, Brown. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go
1: with Anderson. Jordan, you're the tiebreaker.
2: Oh, always the longer name, Robbie
1: Anderson. <laughs> we are drafting Robbie Anderson. All right, he's got a really sweet hairdo too. Um, <laughs> awesome. Sounds like a
0: kicker's name.
1: He's a wide receiver, so <laughs> well, we'll see.
0: Probably not going to be a good one
1: then. <laughs> hey, he's on my bench, so you know we couldn't make it. You th- knew you knew this was going to happen eventually. I was going to have to ask for some advice. <laughs> you so, want to be in the I, league that I'm in because I'm not that good.
0: <laughs> so I've played fantasy football twice. First year was with my dad's work league when I was like 15 or whatever. Uh, cut my teeth, but I, I figured I had to play it. Uh, a couple years later, I was in another league. And for those listening that are into fantasy football, and then again, I've only like played it twice, so take this with a grain of salt. Um, the key to winning your league, all about the waiver wires. All about the waivers, all right? (laughs) Play the trade deals.
1: Pick up the guys
0: that aren't drafted and just do it.
1: I feel like anybody who's played fantasy football probably already knows that, but.
0: (laughs) I'm just saying, if if, if there are people out there that are new to fantasy football, just go in there every week, look at the stats, look at the points, whatever other statistics they have for football or whatever sport this is, um, and just pick them up. Good ones, drop your lowest ones, pick them up. What you got to do? There's, there's my advice for the week. Right there.
1: I mean, it's sound advice. I don't know how many people don't know that yet, though.
0: <laughs> well, some people might not, you know?
1: Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so we still have some time left, and uh, I want to pick Jordan's brain a little bit. So he's the second watchmaker that we have had on the podcast. So... I'm sure you know you know being being a watchmaker for as long as you've been you've probably worked on some pretty interesting pieces what was the what was the first piece that you were working on that you kind of had the handshaking moment like oh I get to work on X what was that watch?
2: Um, well, that's pretty easy um, Probably <laughs> about three or four years out of watchmaking school um, I had to service a Rolex triple date um, Oh back. Okay. You no, know, not a whole lot of those out there. It wow. was a hundred thousand dollar watch at auction when the customer picked it up. Oh, uh, wow. Not exactly the kind of thing that you can uh, replace anything on if you screw it up. <laughs> so, wow. Yeah, that's, that's a take a deep breath. Uh, make sure you've had your lunch so you're not shaky. Um, be careful and, and and dive into it. I mean, it's honestly as a as a watch the Rolex bubble back movement isn't a great one to begin with. Um, but it, that watch is all about the dial. It's all about the case. Yeah, um, It's so rare. And, uh, and it was in a uh, pretty decent shape, uh, both when I received it and when it left my workshop. So uh, that's, that's good. But that was definitely a, a bit of a nerve wracking uh, experience to, to have that on my bench, knowing that one slip could, take $20,000 off to that dial right there, you know,
1: so. Wow.
0: Yeah. So when it comes to those watches, like, as you said, those are pretty rare when it comes to the scope of Rolex. And I, you know, when it comes to watchmaking in school, I don't know what the curriculum is or like what movements they teach you guys in school. Um, and when you got that watch, I don't really know if that was a movement that they had taught you how to service. Um, but if it wasn't, or if you get a watch in that you don't really know, how do you go about finding out how to work on that movement? You
2: know, nearly all watches work on the same principles. Okay. And so watchmaking school was all about those foundational principles. Right? We did a lot of work on ETA calibers in watchmaking school, right? Um, we, did, we were required to bring in some outside stuff, some of our own watches, or find friends and family to give us watches, to give us experience to some older vintage stuff and this kind of stuff. Um, but mm-hmm. really, we learned how watches work, and once you understand how they work, um, except I mean, there's some things out there that are different. You know, the Zenith Defy. You know, this is something different. But most of them work on the same principles, and once you understand that, um, you can pretty much service and fix any of them. You know, so the the bubble back movement is an automatic. You know, it's got a little different of a winding mechanism um, than most modern ones do, but it's pretty easy to understand. Once you see it um, and, you know, I have enough connections that I could reach out to some older watchmakers who'd worked at Rolex when those movements were, you know, the bread and butter of what they were working on and, and you know, if, ask some questions if I needed to.
0: Yeah.
2: The calendar mechanism on it is super simple. It's not sophisticated at all. It's, it's straightforward. It's the million watches out there with similar calendar mechanisms to that. So yeah. servicing the movement in and of itself, just like any other watch. You know, it's, it's all about just protecting the stuff that really matters on, on that watch. That's what yeah. made it nerve-wracking. Um, when it comes to watches that were, say, complicated and, you know, I, I didn't know how to approach them necessarily, how to fix them because they were different. That's a harder question because so many of them are similar. Um, wow.
3: And I can be testament to that. Uh, Jordan's working on my 1967 Seiko Skyliner as we speak. It wasn't running well. So it is a key- watch <laughs> from the watchmaker
2: perspective. You know, they're machines, right? Some of them are more beautiful machines than others, but they're all <laughs> machines that work on the, on the same basic principles. Um, you know, I've got a, a repeating pocket watch. And you start digging into a repeater or something like that, yeah, that's different. You don't see them very often. You've got to make sure everything is interacting with each other just the other way. And and you've probably never seen that same repeater before, right? So everyone is different. In fact, that's that's one of the things that I like about um, being a retail watchmaker and instead of working in, say, a service center for a particular brand is you get to see a lot of variety, even though they all work on the same principles. You know, especially when you're looking at vintage watches, stuff from the 50s, 60s, 70s, this was a time when there were hundreds, if not thousands of companies producing watch movements, all trying to accomplish exactly the same thing with a lot of patents still in force. So if this brand had this automatic winding mechanism, you had to do yours differently. So there's hundreds of different mechanisms. They'll have to do exactly the same thing. So when you see one of these for the first time, you're just saying, I know what this has to do, let's see how this brand figured out to make it do it. And so as you're taking the part, you're just looking, okay, okay, why did they do this? The answer is usually because the other guy did it the better way,
3: (laughs) and they had to come up with some way to do
2: it, but you just, okay, I see what this has to do, great, I understand it now, take it out, clean it, repair whatever it is, and when you're putting it back together, you just, I know what it has to do, how do I put these pieces together so that it can accomplish exactly what it needs to do? And so, for me, it's not about memorizing where the parts go, you know which screw was here. It's all about understanding what they have to do. And so then looking for the part that's going to be able to do that when I put the watch back together.
0: Yeah. Wow. Well, um, yeah. I mean, from my like this naive understanding of it, I just would have assumed that there would have been some service manual, or you <laughs> just take them <laughs> and just take them apart piece by piece and just like memorize or photograph where they go to. But understanding like how the watch works is also, I, I never thought about that way when it comes to servicing watches. So it's a unique, at least in my mind, it is. Yeah. So you ended doing it.
1: for dummies, like a yellow book that said, this. this... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 That's I, what I would
2: say. I, I
0: love reading.
2: I would say it was somewhere around the mid 60s, the brand started getting serious about publishing technical documentation to go with the calibers. Stuff yeah. older than that, you might get a parts list. If you're lucky, you get a picture that shows an exploded view with where the oil is going to go. But anything pre-1950, you're not even going to get that, you know, maybe yeah. a parts list. You're not going to get a lubrication diagram or anything. And so as yeah. far as how they go together, which screws go where, that's totally on the watchmaker. They expected the watchmaker to be able to figure that stuff out. Modern stuff, yeah. there's all, oh, there's tech. Everyone puts a tech guide out for their mm-hmm. watch, but they don't necessarily publish it. So if you don't have a relationship with the brand, it's out there, but you may not be able to get it. They want yeah. that stuff to come back to them. They don't want that information out there because then every old watchmaker will think they can fix the product, which they can. Um, <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah
0: <laughs> all right so i have got one more burning question for you that's i i, I was thinking about my one question i was going to ask you at the start of the episode and this is what it's going to be so when it comes to like independent watchmakers like you said at the start of the episode you created a lot of the parts for your own watch when you were in watchmaking school um so when it comes to independent watchmakers and i'm going to throw out two that i know of so um Keaton Myrick up in Oregon, and um, Roger Smith, which is like I guess the guy. When it comes to those watches and how much they're charging for them, do you think those prices are like accurate, or are they just kind of taking advantage of the the watchmaking scene as it sits right now, and kind of this, I guess, big storm about in you know in-house. And really, when it comes down to it, like independent watchmaking is the most in-house you can kind of get, I guess.
2: So I'll start with Keaton. I know Keaton personally. Um, yeah. He, he came from the same school as I did. Um, uh, I've talked with him. I've seen the level of passion he puts into his, into his watches, right? Mm. So there is a lot of time in his watches, he does a lot of hand finishing, a lot of hand stuff. He's a perfectionist, right? He goes back and redoes stuff when it doesn't, when he's not happy with it. Um, and nothing ever goes out of his shop because it's good enough. Right? Yeah. He because he's finally satisfied that it's what he wanted to see in that watch. In fact, um, you know, having pre-sold some of his watches, I know some of his customers get more than what they were promised. Because yeah. at the, each time he does a watch, he comes up with new ideas and new things he wants to do with them and he incorporates them in future watches. And so I think that, yeah, you get what you pay for um, with someone like him who's making each watch individually by hand and he's doing all the work. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hope the same is true for Roger Smith. I don't know him personally. I've never had the benefit of having one of his watches in my hands. Yeah. Um, but based on what people are saying about it, I think it's it's gotta be true. Um, yeah. I'll, uh, I met Stephen Forsey of Global Forsey.
0: Yeah. Um,
2: I've, I've seen some of his watches in my hands. I've had one of his prototypes on my wrist um, at a convention where he spoke. Um, he had um, his GMT, uh, you know, number zero prototype on his wrist in a room full of watchmakers. He just took it off his wrist and passed it around the room. I mean, yeah. having conversations for an hour, it was just floating around the room. People were just in awe, checking it out, you know. And this was a prototype, and it was just amazing. Wow. And so it, it's all about that that level of handwork. I mean, I just think at my watch, you know, just the stuff I did on it, and there's a lot more I could have done with it. Um, my watch has almost 300 hours of work in it, right? Wow. If I'd have made it 100% A to Z, um, it'd probably have 1,500 or 2,000 hours in it, right? It costs money to get that much manual work into a piece of art.
0: Yeah. Right?
2: It probably didn't take um, Da Vinci that long to paint the Mona Lisa. Yeah. Right? And here <laughs> yeah. you've got watchmakers who are putting hundreds or thousands of hours into a product that's where the price comes from yeah. they're not mass produced i mean yes the gears may be cut on a cnc machine but then every single one of those gears and that level of watch are hand finished yeah he takes a loop looks at it puts a finish on it looks at it again and just keeps doing that until it finally meets their their satisfaction and yeah. they go when they do the next
0: one wow so when it comes to, like, making the watches, what is, in your opinion, the hardest part of putting them together?
2: Of putting them together or of making the components?
0: Well, yeah, we'll, we'll do both. Of putting them together <laughs> and, then, and then, well, yeah, we'll do putting them together. What is the hardest part on that? And then what is the hardest component you think to make? That's a great question, Jordan. <laughs>
1: really? One, two, um, just
0: off the, off the top.
2: You know, assembling watches, um, the kind of stuff that we do in, in service normally, um, it's always the dial and hands, right? Is it difficult? It's easy to put them in place, but they're fragile components Mm
0: -hmm.
2: and it's what the customer looks at all the time. And so that's always where you slow down. You're very careful about what you're doing. Um. And you want them to be, and know, you want the date to change over perfectly at midnight. You know, these are very precise things you're doing there, right? The balance and hairspring are, are fragile, um, but they can be corrected if you make a mistake. But if you scratch that hand or that dial, there's nothing I can do as a watchmaker to fix that. Yeah. You're remaking the whole thing. You're reordering it. You're doing whatever you can. There's no fixing a scratch on a dial or a hand. Mm -hmm. You bend a spring, you can bend it back, right? That kind of stuff. Mm
3: -hmm. Uh,
2: Scratch a screw, you can repolish that. You just can't do that with a dial in hands. And so in the assembly process, it's all right there. Those things that are right in front of the customer every day. That's the hardest part. I think we know from what we see brands doing that manufacturing escapements is very very difficult right that is probably the number one thing that keeps brands from making their own in-house calibers um, is escapements have to be incredibly precise Um, you get it just the slightest bit wrong the watch doesn't run good if at all and so in the manufacturing world that is number one right there if you can make the escapement you can make everything else in the watch
1: so let's talk about escapements, and then let's talk about. I'm going to go, kind of deep here, and I have no knowledge of escapements. How they, I, I, I'm, I'm familiar with the different types to a degree, um, and I know how long it took uh, Mr. Daniels to get the coaxial escapement developed and regulated correctly. Um, and why they operated it sometimes at a different beat than other than you would think. I know my I've got an Omega upstairs and it operates at essentially seven beats per second instead of either eight or six like a lot of other ones do. And I, I know that from reading that's mainly from the coaxial escapement. But let's talk a little bit about Seiko and Grand Seiko and what they've come out with this year because they've come out with a new type of escapement and a new constant force tourbillon this year um i know everybody and we did too we did two episodes last week on rolexes that are now in different colors and slightly different sizes but let's be real <laughs> seiko and grand seiko and and we've talked about this Spangler and i and and you rick we all have new seiko releases we think seiko is knocking it out of the park in the sub 1500 hundred dollar category on the high end they've got a new type of escapement in a grand seiko and they've got a new constant force tourbillon like it seems like Seiko's really doing some crazy stuff these days. Talk to me about the newest, the new type of escapement and and what they just released um, to the best of you. I mean, I don't know how much how much you know about these, how much you've talked about these. But just like you just said, the escapement's the most important or the most technically important thing. So to come out with a new type of escapement, like how much goes into that?
2: Wow, I guess I needed to study up for this one. <laughs> um, I'll be honest; I don't know anything about Seiko's new um, escapement. I did see some pretty pictures of the Constant Force Um It's obviously a very impressive um, watch. It's incredible, but I haven't taken the time yet to try and understand um, what they did specifically. In that watch yet?
3: What, what new I've escapement been, are you talking about?
2: on Other things, right? I've been working <laughs> on a whole new workshop set
1: up. And, oh yeah, no. <laughs> you know, right? I mean, well, I'll have you back
2: on, but of- I haven't had the chance yet. But when it comes to escapements in general, I mean, what goes into designing escapement? I mean, there are volumes and volumes of books on escapement design. Uh, it seems like once a watchmaker has reached a certain point in their career, they feel the need to publish some kind of a treatise on the escapement. <laughs> and so, you know, if you go into a horological library, you're going to find hundreds of volumes of escapement theory. Right. And so, and, and even when we're talking about the same escapement, right? So primarily we've been using the Swiss lever escapement for the last 300 years in watchmaking. But they're not all created equal, right? Basic principles, but you have to design them. You want to change the size, you got to go reinvent everything again. There's a lot of math involved, a lot of drawing and testing um, to figure out how much torque's going to be delivered. You know, today there's a lot of computer models um, they're doing with that kind of stuff, but back in the day, it all started with pencil on paper, you know. They had tables of angles and what the angles had to be, what was the lift need to be, the lift of the pallet to the escape wheel and the lift between the pallet and the balance and and all these different angles. And they're drawing them out and they're making little tiny tweaks here and there. What happens if we make the pallet arm a little longer? We get more torque to the balance, this kind of stuff. We can make the club on the tooth of the escape wheel a little longer and maybe transfer a little bit more of that energy or do we make it shorter so there's less friction involved you know all these different kind of things and and we see that with with the daniel's escapement right is is the biggest advantage in the daniel's escapement is there's a lot less friction in it than there is in the traditional swiss lever escapement that's what his goal was let's get rid of the sliding action in the escapement and make it so it's all delivered impulse and he succeeded uh for the most part, in, in doing that in his escapement. Um, really ingenious, um, the way Daniels designed it. And if I'm allowed to have controversial opinions on this <laughs> podcast.
1: Oh, you're, yeah, funny. I, <laughs> Go I ahead.
2: Went and screwed it up. What all about. <laughs> 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 all right? What Daniels invented and what Omega manufactures are not exactly the same thing as much as they'd like us to believe that they are. And that was out of necessity, right? Daniels was hand-making escapements, one at a time, right? How many did he actually make? What is it, like 17 Daniels watches out there in the world or something like that, right? Yeah. is <laughs> yeah. making hundreds of thousands of coaxial escapements, mass-produced. And when you start trying to mass-produce the Daniels coaxial escapement, you have to make compromises. And so they were forced to make compromises to put it into production, which make it less need of an escapement from what Daniels originally designed. All of Daniels' escape wheels are made out of gold. All of Omega's escape wheels are made out of steel. Those two metals have very different properties.
0: Mm
2: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Daniels did low-beat escapements because he felt like that was what was appropriate for the design. Well, everybody wants a high beat watch. So Omega tried to produce a high beat watch. And then each time they come out with one, it seems like it's a lower beat than the previous one. Because they're realizing, hey, this works better at lower beats, right? Daniels knew that. (laughs) Um, And and part of that was, you know, Omega's got that connection with – ETA and their escapement production facilities who's been making escapements for 100 years or whatever, and they feel like they know how to make escapements. Well, ask them to make a different kind of escapement, and they try and put the same principles behind it, and, and things change there. So um, I truly believe the Daniel's escapement as he designed it um, will do everything that he says it will doesn't need to be lubricated. It will run 20 years without any need for service. And that the Omega version of that needs a little bit of lubrication, (laughs) needs to be serviced, maybe not as often as the Swiss labor because there's a lot less lubrication, but still needs regular service every eight to 10 years or whatever. Um, But it's still super cool technology, right? right? I imagine that the same kind of ideas go behind Seiko coming out of a new escapement, right? Um, Breguet said way back, you know, 200 years ago that, he said, give me the perfect oil and I'll give you the perfect watch. Because oils degrade and watches need to be serviced. Get rid of that problem, (laughs) they won't wear out, they'll just keep running forever, right? And so that was kind of the Daniel's approach Let's see if we can design an escapement that doesn't need oil. And he did a pretty good job of it, right? So I'm sure that Seiko's looking at the same kind of stuff. You know, that's what's behind all the silicone used in escapements, right? Is you can eliminate lubrication there. Mm -hmm. And so I'm sure they're trying to get an escapement that has less friction, less need for lubrication, runs more consistently, right? Because as the power flow changes in a watch, the escapement's going to act differently. If you can make ones that constant force, always have the same amount of torque delivered, they're going to be much more consistent and better timekeepers. And So you solve these problems, you end up with better timekeepers. And I think that's ultimately when it comes to escapement design, you're either trying to reduce the service interval or, you know, make the watches last longer without service or make them be better timekeepers. Those are really the two goals in why are we bothering redesigning the escapement? Because you want one of those two things.
1: So when it comes to that, we've talked. I mean, we've started to see watch brands, to a degree, increase their warranty periods, as well as increase their recommended service intervals. Is it been because of the the design and the creation of the components? I know that we're using a lot more silicone in watch movements, um, like you said for for the the. Um... Wow, I just lost it. I lost it, but. Um the lack of of need for lubrication. But also I know there's some a magnet or anti-magnetic properties uh, with magnets being literally everywhere these days with all the electronics we're using. I know that's another reason why we're seeing silicone pop up in wash movements. Do you think it's, it's more of the silicone components that are causing the need for, or not the need, but the ability for longer service intervals, or do you think it's the uh, increase in the oil, um, you know, chemical components? (laughs) That's a fun question, isn't it? This is this is more technical. I it. Wow.
3: <laughs>
1: we don't get this a lot, though.
0: So we don't. Uh, get this. I have to give a
3: shout out. Uh, I, I have to give that. a shout out right now, real quick. Okay. This is who's making the Cincinnati Watch Company watches. Oh, I just well, wanted yeah. To remind people exactly. Right <laughs> 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 That's what's packed in your three hundred forty nine dollars pre order, ladies and gentlemen, on a uh, diver. So. Um, <clears throat> That's interjecting the you
1: Your watch understands watches to this.
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I mean, we also don't have the opportunity to get this technical and it's, it's funny. I know buzz is going to be so upset that he missed this because he is a mechanical engineer by trade. Like we just need to do an hour where it's just Jordan and buzz. We'll just let them have it an episode to themselves just <laughs> talking because
3: we have a dinner at dorsia later we, we you. can talk about it then uh i'm uh, good un- sea urchin ceviche
1: it's actually you- i heard that's really good
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: it's almost to die for okay. just,
1: it's, yeah yeah almost to die for. wait um is it is it Jordan or Rick who's a really big fan of Huey Lewis in the news?
3: one <laughs> <laughs> well, of you, you uh, your favorite albums, maybe? Yeah, no, I, I, yeah, I, Hip to Be Square is probably
1: my favorite one. <laughs> okay, uh, that was an awesome 45 sports. seconds. <laughs> That's what was right there since he's not here. <laughs> okay, so back to, back to the original question, Jordan, about a uh, uh, silicon components or better lubrication from the oils.
2: So, I mean, uh, without a doubt, silicone components don't need lubrication. Um, there is a, a much lower coefficient of friction between those components, than there is between the steel and ruby in a traditional escapement, and so. Um, because the escapement is a critical area where you see effects in timekeeping change when the oil breaks down, um, you can absolutely extend your service interval with silicone components. Uh, but you see a lot of brands doing that for traditional escapements as well. And the improvements to the lubrication. I mean, this is we've been using synthetic lubricants in watchmaking as long as I've been involved in watchmaking. and for quite a while before that as well. So I wouldn't call the, there, I haven't seen any dramatic improvements in the last 10 years, 15 years in that area when we've been seeing this increase in service intervals. The increase in service intervals is a change in a business model as much as anything. Um, they have this, there used to be this idea from the brands that they perpetuated which I am still a fan of and that is you want to service your watch before the components start wearing out. Right? And I think on most watches that is still in the five-year range. Right? If you don't want to have to replace components when you service the watch you probably ought to bring it in for service somewhere around five years. You know, yeah, you can hedge that a little bit depending on how often you wear your watch. Um, The brands have decided that it's pretty easy to replace components. They make a bunch of extras and you can stretch that out eight years, 10 years, and maybe you have to replace a few more components, but what's the big deal? Replace the components. And and so that's, if they get a little bit worn on them, it's not gonna affect timekeeping. The customer's still gonna be happy. They're not really gonna notice, you know? So if you have a wheel whose pivot's worn a little bit, and just put a new one in there. That's great for the brands. They've got access to an endless supply of these materials. But for a lot of the watchmakers out in the field, they don't have that. And so if you're going to take your watch back to the brand for service, yeah, stretch your service. Do what they say, no big deal. If you're going to have your local watchmaker do it, I would lean more towards that five-year interval on the service of your watch. And he can just clean and lubricate without having to replace worn-out components.
1: That's interesting to me only because the two, in, in from a sentimentality perspective the two most important watches that are in my collection are the watches that I plan to pass down uh, to my two sons. So I've purchased a watch in the year that each of them was born that came out the year that they were born. So a brand new design well, not necessarily brand new design but like a, a watch that was so for Pierce that came out in 2017 for Vaughn that came out in 2019. So the nice thing will be when they turn five and to uh, intervals of five, you know, going forward, it's very easy math for me to do. Oh, oh, uh, Pierce just turned five. Okay. The tutor goes in for service. Oh, Vaughn just, okay. The Omega goes in for service. That'll be pretty easy.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah.
3: Which leads into something um, um, good here because, um, you know, that's something that Cincinnati Watch Company is doing now. You know, our service center is open, we're ready to take your repair from anywhere in the country, which I, I think from an offering standpoint, you know, there's there's a lot of people that live in areas where there might not be a local watchmaker. You know, you're, you're out in the middle of the nowhere. You know, we, we have the luxury of living in a fairly big, big city and there's plenty of people around that can fix your watch. But if you're, you know, somewhere else in the world, um, you can ship it into Cincinnati Watch Company now and you'll have Jordan service your watch. And it's been really exciting since we launched our new watches on Friday to already see some of those service requests come in. So it is pretty it's pretty cool to see that happening uh, this early
1: in the game. That's awesome.
0: Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, Evan, do you have any other questions? That, that That got way more technical than we normally get, but we also don't normally have the opportunity to ask those type of questions. Um, just given the, I mean, what is the three of us? We don't even come close to talking about stuff like that. So, you know, we like to take yes. advantage of, uh, of, of, expertise when we have it on the, uh, on the episode. So this one will be a little bit more educational than it normally would be. Um, you got anything else for us Spangler?
0: Um, no, I can just end with a quick, you know, I know the Cincinnati Watch Co. will have their pre-orders. They're ending on October 4th. If I'm right, well,
3: not ending. They're just the prices going up.
0: Then the so so price will go up on October fourth. So for everyone yeah. out there, order all your stuff by October fourth if you want to. Um, and you said deliveries by February through April. I want to say around there. Yeah, February, February, February
3: March. It, you know, it's you order first. Yours is going to get shipped first, and that's yeah, what it boils okay. down to.
0: Perfect. Um, so that's happening. Um, but after all of that settles down. What 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 do you guys feel is the next step? Because like last time we had you on, Rick, you know Jordan was not involved So what, what is like a, a sneak peek of what you guys are thinking will be next for Cincinnati Wash Well, as I mean,
3: much I as you can tell
0: us too, or as much yeah, as you know. I don't know, I don't know how. All.
3: I mean, I don't know how much I can tell you. Um, I mean, Jordan and I have already discussed some design ideas, and you know, we've been so busy in the the launch of these watches, the formation of the new companies, including Jordan in as a co-owner, the starting of Cincinnati Watch Repair. I mean, you know, we have been busy, you know, between new releases, new models, redoing much of our website. Uh, You know, there hasn't been much time, but, you know, I I think there's there's some opportunities for us to start um, making some more upmarket products uh, in yeah. the future. Um, I, you know, I wish I could tell you the thing that I really want to do next, but I don't want <laughs> I don't want to share it if we don't do it. So,
0: don't if it's a chronograph, <laughs> just like, give me a wink and like, I'll, I'll, I'll let them put it on. Spangler wink, is all about a the
1: chronograph.
0: He asks everybody <laughs> this. Just, just a wink. That's all I need. A yes, <laughs> you know, <just> a wink. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so hopefully so, uh, I'm not
2: out of, out of place in saying this, Rick, but, but I think one thing you can see is we're expecting to have less time between releases, right? With with me on board and with doing assembly here, um, I, I think that we'll see our next new thing won't be as long as it was between the last release and this release. It, exactly. Uh, we should yeah, have yeah. a more steady flow of watches coming out of Cincinnati Watch Company. Yes. So and what's next, I can't tell you, yeah. but it's coming sooner <laughs> than you would have expected previously from, from the company. And there will be different stuff. And so whatever it is you're hoping we do, it'll be sooner than it would have been otherwise.
3: Yes, that is a good point. Mm-hmm. And in another point I'll make quickly, just, you know, if you're a micro brand, kind of, you know, Cincinnati a uh, watch company operated before with kind of me as the quote-unquote in-house watchmaker enthusiast guy, you know, I had to go through all the technical drawing processes myself. I, I had to wait and see what the factory, you know, sent me, I had to approve the designs and then, you know, maybe find something out kind of late that I didn't like and then have to have them redo it again before we could bring something to market. So. There's much more trial and error in that process to getting to the watch that I wanted to release. With Jordan involved now, we have that technical aptitude in-house to make a better product day one and get it to the market faster. So it's it's a big it's a big leap for us, uh, you know, going forward. It's also a big leap for us, you know, as we grow and if we need more watchmakers or we need more assembly people. You know, Jordan's a guy that has trained watchmakers. You know, this this is a guy. You know, Jordan Jordan's a guy that can basically help us grow and grow efficiently, um, and staff appropriately to make our company um, do you know do bigger and better things, uh, and and hopefully theoretically raise some more money for some of our our favorite nonprofits. So I I think it's all good. It's all good.
0: Yeah. This is so whenever uh... you guys need. Whenever you guys need my interview for the professional watch Fondler, uh, <laughs> let me know. you have my email? You have my phone as far password. as I'm concerned, I mean, you got that job.
3: I mean, you know, I'm going to have a
1: word. I just, with. I just sure, want everybody I mean. to know that they will all be cased without lint and everything like that. They will be completely completed watches out of Jordan's hands before they get into Evans. We're just gonna get that yes. out of the way. We don't want Evan <laughs> anywhere near open case backs. We don't want him anywhere near hands sitting, not attack like no, we're not doing no, any of that. No, let me that Unless one. you no. specifically ask yeah. for it. But I wouldn't recommend it. Um no we're, yeah. we're
3: the amount of time he spends at the bat bar, I, I am worried, <laughs> you know, we might have to have you sign a waiver. Uh, you know, that you know, because we don't want anybody getting sick. That bought a watch. Yeah. So there may be a waiver involved for the $10 extra fee for the Evan <laughs> Yes. Uh, situation. <laughs>
1: <sighs> well, the, the only other thing I will say is, um, you know, we're, we're really excited to see. Um, we're really excited that all these watches are, are at pre-order. Um, I know, you know, at least the guys here locally are pretty excited. I, the, the amount of people in the Red Bar chat talking about how exciting it is um, that these watches are out for pre-order, uh, is great. Um, anybody who's listening, uh, who hasn't had a chance to see one of these in person, uh, I'm sure there will be some reviews forthcoming from Zeit's watches, our, uh, our website for the podcast. Uh, not, not immediately, but here, uh, here probably in the next month or so, I would imagine there will be some, uh, some things that we can put up there. Uh, I know I've already uh, sent a, another buddy who's located in one of the Carolinas. I think, I think that's where he is. Uh, Lee, if you're listening, I'm pretty sure in one of the Carolinas, um, he wasn't quite sure because he's got six and a half inch wrists. He um, wasn't quite sure that uh, the dive watch would fit him. But he and I have a he and I have the same watch, and I've got a picture of your diver back from was it April that we met with the prototypes? It may have been end of March, early April. But when I had it next to my Hulk, uh, he also has one. I was like, hey, here's this next to that. I know you got one of these, so he's like, oh, okay, that looks like it'll fit. <laughs>
3: Uh, yeah. So uh, to speak to to that, you know, my my wrists are six point six inches, so you know the the dive watch wears comfortably on me. And if you look on our website or on our Instagram or Facebook feed. that That's all my wrist. I'm a, a competent wrist and hand model at this point in my life. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm be, I'll take um, a
0: stanza. Yeah, I'm-, I, I'm a- <laughs> <laughs> Amazing <laughs> record. Amazing
3: <laughs> record. <laughs> that's what I was thinking about too. $100 Rick, an hour, you have my
1: wrist. Your hands uh, aren't in bubbles. <laughs> <laughs> that was David I, Duchovny, I feel like, in that episode.
3: <laughs> well, I don't do manual labor anymore. So, I mean, I'm protecting, I'm protecting myself. Um, but but yeah, so no, I think the dive watch, um, and you know, really all the watches in our, in our in our line now fit a smaller wrist quite well. Um, so I don't think you would have any concerns out there if you have a smaller wrist. To a certain degree, you're you're going to be fine with any of our watches.
1: Yeah, no, I would I would agree. I mean, it it the prototype that we handled way back in end of march early april fit fantastic it for 41 millimeters it sure didn't feel like it Mm
0: -hmm. so
1: um no i'm i'm really excited i've got my cart already we're working out one other piece that my wife has to opine on and be placing an order i'm pretty excited um i guess looking forward to to when they get uh manufactured and released although i guess at this point i'll be uh a little bit further back in the queue. So, uh, you know, being three <laughs> days in, but, uh, yeah. anyway, no, it was, it was really awesome chatting with, uh, the two of you we're, we're really excited to everything that's coming forward. And the fact that the time between releases, um, I know, I know that's not much to share, but the, the fact that the time routine releases is shorter, um, is always good news. That's always <laughs> great news. I mean, you know, the watch nerdery loves new watches all the time. So, um, Shorter distance between releases can't be a bad thing, um, and definitely looking forward to seeing Jordan's influence and stuff because you know I'm I'm really kind of uh, kind of excited to see where this can go. Uh, it's really exciting, especially knowing Rick and and I'm sure Jordan will be getting to know each other a little bit better since we're all here, located centrally in Cincinnati. So uh, anyway, uh, gentlemen, it's been great having you on, and uh, we look forward to seeing uh, bigger and better things out of the Cincinnati Watch Company going forward. Thank you. Great. Thanks guys. Uh, everybody, we hope this was a good listen, Uh, a little bit more educational and more technical than we normally get, but, uh, we don't always have, uh, somebody who has the expertise that Jordan does, uh, on the show. So we hope you all enjoy it and we'll uh, catch you all next week. Thanks everyone. Thank you for listening to another episode
0: of the whiskey and watches podcast. If you like what you hear, Please take the time to rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. We are enthusiasts, not experts, so don't at us. But you can find us on Instagram at whiskey.and.watches.podcast. Also, visit our website at zeitzwatches.com. Zeitz is spelled Z E I T Z.